This is the ACR 22 Daily Podcast Review featuring the Room Now faculty as they present to you their favorite abstracts and presentations from the meeting. Enjoy. Hi everyone, Jack Cush. I'm here on the convention floor at ACR 2022, Philadelphia. The morning has just begun. I just came out of the year in review, a popular session. So popular they had an overflow room, which means they must have had 5,000 plus people viewing this thing. Two presenters, a clinical and a basic scientist, Dr. Carol Langford from the, clinical, the Cleveland Clinic and Dr. John Varger from the University of Michigan did a stellar job. Carol put uh, out the call for what was the highlights of this year as far as the year in review, the best stuff in the clinical sciences. She had a few. One, the Gloria trial, a pragmatic study of steroid use in uh, RA patients over the age of 65. Second was, as you would expect, the oral surveillance study, tofacitinib versus a TNF inhibitor and its safety woes. The mirror study she highlighted, which is the methotrexate being added on top of peglodicase in refractory and difficult to treat gout patients. And then of course the new indication of something we've been using for many years, the FDA approved this year, the IVIG uh, approach to treating uh, patients with dermatomyositis. Again, we've done it for years, but now we have an FDA indication. We presented that, that data last year at this meeting. Uh, the other big thing, it's in press, is the CART T-cell um, directed therapy at CD19 or, C or B cells. Uh, a great paper from Georg Shett showing how you could take train wreck refractory SLE patients who failed everything and give them these CAR T cells and they all went into remission off of their biologics. Um, next was, um, was she closed with uh, pre-exposure prophylaxis, something that we should be considering in our patients who are immunosuppressed, especially those on rituximab, uh, as a way of uh, keeping them safe even here at the tail end of the rituximab pandemic. She had others. John Varga dealt with the basic science side. He led with, uh, and he also received input from colleagues and, and culled what he thought was the most important. A few from him was um, the report of a TLR7, a toll-like receptor 7 variant that leads to a higher susceptibility for lupus. By having this variant in TLR7, you have a gain of function sensitivity to um, uh, nucleic acids, therefore leading to this immunogenic response, more B cells, more plasma, cytoid uh, B cells, et cetera, leading to lupus. It's that, so sort of discovered as a human mutant, but then reproduced via CRISPR technology in animals, really exciting. Also, the um, increased expression of CD8, CD38 um, in lupus patients was found and also found to be associated with lupus patients with infection. He sort of went um, and just sort of discussed how that happens, really interesting. Uh, another paper on uh, immune activity in non-lesional lupus skin that's similar to lesional lupus skin, saying that even though the skin isn't involved by looking at it, by seeing a malar rash or a discoid rash, there's a lot going on in the skin of patients with lupus. And then um, lastly, he, he, he had others, but uh, he talked about a vaccination-based approach to and with immunotherapy um, to target uh, pro-fibrotic cells, a way of treating these conditions like scleroderma, ILD, et cetera, where fibrosis is a big problem. A great session, really informative. The year in review, another knockout here at ACR. Tune in for more. Hello, everyone.
everyone. I'm Olga Petrina, reporting virtually from the ACR 2022. And today I would like to share um, abstract 0377, which is a study from Spain. Um, it's an observational study from two different cohorts of patients with psoriatic arthritis, where authors divided patients uh, into two separate groups. Patients with early onset PSA, which is onset before age of 40, and those who were diagnosed after the age of 16 and labeled late onset PSA. Researchers looked into the differences in the clinical presentations and uh, presentation and outcomes of patients who were diagnosed early versus uh, late onset disease. And they found that when it comes to clinical presentation, patients who have late onset disease are more likely to be male. They happen to have more structural damage uh, and worse functional scores by FASFI uh, at the time of diagnosis, even though there is low, less diagnostic delay um, when it comes to establishing diagnosis. Also, late onset patients are more likely to have um, inflammatory arthritis affecting upper extremities and they were more likely to uh, suffer from comorbidities, uh, particularly higher rates of heart disease was observed in this group. When it comes to uh, presentations such as sacroiliitis and enthesitis, those were more likely in early onset disease, and they were, there seemed to be not to affect quality of life uh, as much in the younger population. I found it interesting that while the patients with sacroiliitis and enthesitis were seen in younger population more often, there was no difference in disease activity and severity between the two groups. And it seems that differences in clinical presentation did not affect uh, treatment choice based on the age of onset. I would be curious to see more studies about treatment choices in patients with uh, disease diagnosing earlier in younger age as opposed to older uh, groups, particularly because we do see there's more structural damage, more impact on quality of life and functional status in these older diagnosed patients. Uh, but I guess I'll have to scavenge for more abstracts in that regard. Uh, if you would like to find out more, please follow us on Room Now and enjoy the meeting. Hello, I'm Olga Petrina reporting from this year's ACR meeting virtually. Today, I would like to talk about the animal model of systemic GIA uh, presented in abstract 0004. In this abstract, Dr. Lee from Boston Children's Hospital and his colleagues uh, talk about um, the role of mechanistic target of rapamycin complex one, otherwise known as mTOR C1, in activation of systemic GIA and it's linked to macrophage activation syndrome. So in this study, a researcher used the mouse model of GIA depleted of uh, deficient in IL-1 receptor antagonist. And then they studied the activation or, or role of unrestricted activation of mTOR C1 on development of symptoms and behavior of peripheral uh, leukocytes. They found that not only uh, peripheral uh, neutrophils express excessive activity of mTOR C1, which led to uh, hemophagocytosis, 
We also saw that uh, animals in the study developed a significant amount of inflammatory arthritis and uh, splenomegaly, uh, along with other signs of systemic inflammation. That goes along with the published report, reports of increased mTOR C1 signature in patients with uh, macrophage activation syndrome uh, who suffer from hemophagocytosis. Uh, so the, uh, at the same time, when they treated the mice with uh, rapamycin, it led to significant decrease in activity of inflammatory arthritis and decrease or prevention of hemophagocytosis in the treated mice. Uh, all in all, it talks a lot about um, a role of mTOR as a driver inflammation in this condition, and it creates or connects uh, this condition to more uh, severe manifestation or severe complications such as macrophage activation syndrome. I think it's a great study that um, you know emphasizes on different mechanisms of uh, inflammatory uh, processes in, in this condition and potentially can lead to future therapeutic targets. I hope you enjoyed this presentation and enjoying the meeting so far. If you would like to learn more, please go to Room Now. Hi, I'm Dr. Katherine Sims here at the 2022 ACR National Meeting, uh, covering for Room Now. Today we're going to be talking about patient-reported outcomes using the novel IL-17A inhibitor, Azacabib. This is a 16-week placebo-controlled phase 2 trial in patients with psoriatic arthritis. This is abstract 0199 with Dr. Frank Behrens at the University of Frankfurt. So we all know that IL-17 is a key driver of psoriatic arthritis disease processes that impacts patients' daily functioning. This is a prospective, randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled uh, trial using azacabib 40 milligrams or 80 milligrams subcutaneously every two weeks. Patients needed to have three or more swollen joints and three or more tender joints in order to be included in this study. They also needed to have an inadequate response to NSAIDs, TNF inhibitors, and conventional synthetic DMARDs. Patient-reported outcomes were the main uh, outcome measure for this study, and they looked at things uh, for pain, global disease assessment, and itching. 135 patients were included at 28 sites. The mean age was about 48 years, disease duration seven years, and patients had a psoriatic arthritis impacted disease score of 5.9 and a hack di score of 1.3. At 12 weeks, all patient reported outcomes revealed significantly and clinically meaningful improvements for the 80 milligram subgroup. This was a significant uh, improvement in sleep, pain, and functionality for patients. So the takeaway point is that Azacabib showed a dose-dependent improvement in patient-reported outcomes and PSAID subdomains in patients with active psoriatic arthritis. You can follow me at Dr. Cassie Sims on Twitter for more and continue to tune in for ACR 2022 coverage at Room Now. Hi, I'm Dr. Sheila Reyes from the Philippines reporting virtually for Room Now at the ACR 2022. An interesting study by the group of Dr. Fabian Proft was presented at the abstract sessions on Saturday entitled The Comparison of the Effect of Treatment with NSAIDs Added to Anti-TNF Therapy versus Anti-TNF Therapy Alone on Progression of Structural Damage in the Spine Over Two Years in Patients with Ankylosing Spondylitis or the CONSOL trial with abstract number 0546. A previous RCT suggested a potential benefit of NSAIDs in preventing structural progression in AS, where a continuous dose of celecoxib over a two-year period showed an inhibitory effect on structural progression. Conversely, 
recent studies have shown that TNF inhibitors may have some inhibitory effect on radiographic progression as well. The objective of the console trial, which is an open-label multicenter RCT, was to evaluate the impact of treatment with the combination of an NSAID and a TNF inhibitor compared with a TNF inhibitor alone on the progression of structural damage in the spine over two years in patients with radiographic axial spondyloarthritis, or AS. The investigators chose celecoxib as the NSAID and golimumab as the TNF inhibitor. Patients included in the study had radiographic axial spondyloarthritis and high disease activity, a BAS diet of more than four, NSAID failure, and risk factors for radiographic spinal progression, such as a CRP of more than five milligram per liter, and one or more syndesmal fights. The primary endpoint was radiographic spinal progression using the change in MSAS after 108 weeks. Okay, that was long. Results of this study show that the MSAS change after week 108 was 1.1 in the celecoxib plus golimumab group versus 1.7 in the golimumab alone group with a p-value of 0.79. This means that there was no significant difference between combination therapy and golimumab alone in delaying the progression of um, radiographic uh, changes over two years in patients with AS. Okay, so what do these findings tell us? Can we apply it to our clinical practice? For clinicians like me, interventions that can slow the progression of structural damage in AS are expected to provide clinical benefit in terms of delaying functional loss and improving the quality of life of my patients, which is all which is also ultimately the goal of AS management. Now, on a personal note, I am not comfortable giving NSAIDs long-term because of the risk of developing GI, cardiac, and renal side effects. Now, just two things. First, the potential risks may outweigh the potential benefits if we do combination treatment. Second, the cost of treatment. In this side of the world where I practice, out-of-pocket healthcare is still the norm, and additional medications can burden the patient and may not be as cost-effective. Which brings us back to the study. Though combination treatment with salicoxib and golimumab was not shown to be superior over golimumab alone, either regimens can be considered. Stratifying patients at higher risk for radiographic progression may guide decision-making strategies. Less is probably more. Follow me on Twitter at Rumarampa and tune in to Room Now for more reports and videos of the ACR Convergence 2022. Thank you.